the the pinnacle of society now is like being a really rich slave, basically. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. show marijuana can be very psychologically addictive. Man, f- them studies. You make weed look so uncool. I'm sure they were just kissing all over themselves for that. So I'm defending myself. Lots of weed. This is big. Yes. Oh shit, yes. Oh shit, yes. It is Thursday night here in FEMA Region 7, that is. And you're listening to a special edition of Bowl After Bowl. We like to call them bowls with buds. Times where we can sit down with some buds in the bowl, get to know them a little bit better. And uh, that will become episode 206 of Bull After Bull. I'm Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. I'm Dame DeLorean. And our bud joining us this time from the other side of this ball that we call home, planet Earth, it's Captain Sid. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? It's a fine night. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I think that we're getting some kind of robo sound now all of a sudden. We tested it out and now we're getting like robo sound. Uh-oh. Maybe, uh... From hit, me, really? Maybe we hit refresh on our clean feeds. All right. And, uh... Maybe that will... That will fix it. I'll do it on my end, too. That's how we like to start. That's how we like to start things off. Just, like... <laughs> troubleshooting. It's my favorite. There we go. Okay. Oh, yeah. Much better. Much better. Okay, good, good. Sorry about that. No worries. Hell of a way to come in, though, you know? <laughs> Just iron things As a out. robot. Yeah. The robo intro, man. Robo intro. Robo intro. So, uh, for those folks that don't know, Captain Sid, uh, you went on a big-ass tour of the United States on a motorcycle for in the name of Bitcoin. Yes. So basically I hatched a plan uh, late last year while I was living over in Asia to come back to the U.S. for a couple months, buy a motorcycle and go to as many Bitcoin meetups as I could in a couple months time. So kind of all came together, uh, got a couple great Bitcoin only companies to sponsor me. Swan was the title sponsor, but Unchained Capital, Bitcoin Magazine and Upstream Data helped out as well. And I bought a huge touring Harley bike and started in Miami at the Bitcoin conference and just rode from there. I ended up on the road for a little over 100 days, I think. And I visited over 30 different meetups the whole way. That's awesome, man. Epic. Uh, Yeah, it was really fun. So you got the Harley for the tour. Did you sell it at the end of the tour? Yes, I did, actually. So uh, I... was kind of sad to sell it, obviously, but happy to get the sats. 
Sure. But I am glad that I sold it to a Bitcoiner. So oh, that's awesome. I still have the the saddlebags that everyone signed as I went, so I kept those. But I sold the motorcycle to uh, Alan, who is a pilot that lives in Northern California. He flies uh, small, like private jets, basically for people, for like corporations and whatnot to fly people around, sure. like charter flights. And uh, he's also a motorcyclist, so I I met up with him. Um, in Nashville for a grassroots Bitcoin conference, the first time that I think this has ever happened where Bitcoin meetup organizers all came together in Nashville at Bitcoin Park um, with Odell and uh, Bitkite. And we just got together and talked about Bitcoin meetups, how to run them, um, how to grow them and whatnot. And I hung out with Alan there and got to meet him in person, I think for the first time. And he asked about my bike and he said, yeah, I'm kind of interested in buying it. And then maybe two weeks later, he was riding off with it. So it's still near where my parents live. I can go ride it if I come back to the U.S., which is awesome. I didn't oh, have to fabulous. completely say goodbye. Like, I'll never see this bike again. And it's in good hands now. God, that was a beautiful bike, too. Um, yeah. What what type of Harley was it? What model was it? It's an Ultra Limited 2014. Nice. Um I have, yeah, it's like a, I have uh, spun a few bikes around, but I have never actually ridden on a Harley. It's a, you know, my dad told me you're going to hate it because it's like slow and a couch on wheels and they leak oil. And yeah, I think that was true of the 80s, 90s, maybe early 2000s Harleys. But this thing was a dream and it's powerful. I don't think people realize the newer Harleys are really powerful. They're all sport touring bikes. They're not couches on wheels they're fast and fun yeah i've always wanted to try it out see what all the hype is about you know i ride a uh kawasaki vulcan 900 which uh nice which i brought to the meetup that you came uh when you visited us in, mm-hmm. in the kansas city meetup it was like almost perfect bike weather because it was like overcast but then it's like started sprinkling at the end like when we were rolling out of there it was like it's a little bit of rain coming down, which, yeah, you know, I don't mind yeah. too bad, but... Yeah, we got out of there right in time. Yes, we did. We did. I thought, uh, you know, maybe we'd just, like, dick around and push some pavement, but then the weather was like... Yeah, the weather had other plans. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I did my fair share of riding on that trip. <laughs> yeah, I bet. A lot of a lot of wet weather, too. Yeah, you gotta just kind of hero that stuff out. Mm-hmm. When I first met Lorian... Uh, I had a, gosh, was it an 83? I want to say an 83 Honda Nighthawk. And mm. it was a 650, so not that much smaller, but a bit smaller than the one I have now. And goddamn, one time we came back from Kansas City to Columbia, just like about, just under two hour drive. And it was like freezing rain by the end of that trip. And we went over this bridge and it was just like, we were so cold, wet, and miserable, but we were almost there to the point where it was like, the bridge has like, got to be the worst part. The bridge is always where it freezes up first, and we're just rolling over this bridge, and I just was like, well, here we go. Like, I didn't know what would happen. I just kind of like mm. patted her goodbye, and like, we yeah. rode over this bridge. <laughs> yeah, I just patted you. I was like, well, we'll see. Like, well, <laughs> it was really fun to uh, hang out while we did, and hopefully we get back. <laughs> all in one piece. And it ended up, it ended it up all right, but. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, really thankfully that I didn't encounter any ice, but that was due to good planning. I knew I didn't want to ride too far north too early in the year. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. So I guess you started off Bitcoin Miami. Was that like in, in, in April, I want to say? May? Yeah. Yeah, it was beginning of April. Beginning it was of like April. Like okay. through the 10th or something. That sounds right. Yeah. And then yeah. where all did you go? I mean, I think we met you at sort of the beginning third or the beginning of the middle third of your journey or something like that. Yeah, you guys were kind of I want to say like July maybe. About 60% in. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It was like uh middle of June, pretty sure that I got to Kansas City. But I I planned it basically to go to Texas first because there's so many huge meetups in Texas. And I had this feeling like, you know, Austin BitDevs is not going to change their date for me because I was pretty reliant on meetup organizers scheduling things when I was in town because I couldn't stay anywhere for more than a day or two. So sure. I thought, all right, I'll go to Texas first because I knew there was an Austin BitDevs and a Houston meetup like right after the conference. So give me like a week to get over there and then I can do Austin, Houston, Dallas. So I spent maybe three weeks there. I went to the first beef initiative conference too. That was outside of Austin in Kerrville, Texas, like two hours West of Austin. And then from Texas, I went across the South, across Arkansas, Tennessee, um, dipped into Northern Alabama. I went to Huntsville and then was it two or three meetups in North Carolina? Two, three meetups. Asheville, Charlotte, and... Oh, why am I blanking on it? Raleigh. Uh, Those Raleigh. three. And then I headed north from there, kind of northwest to the Midwest. I did Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota... There's a lot of meetups there. The South and the Midwest are like tons and tons of in-person Bitcoin activity. It's That's awesome. It's awesome to see in these kind of small cities uh, where you wouldn't expect there to be that many people or that much excitement about Bitcoin. That's where I found there's like very established meetups that are growing quickly, which is really cool to see and, and not shitcoiner trading meetups, Tight. which is what... Yeah, I lived in New York City for for about three years before I moved out to Thailand, and all the meetups were just filled with people in suits, or in their mind at least, wearing a suit. Sure. Just looking for profit, just looking to pump and dump. Just and juicing their next, the next pump. Coin. Yeah. yeah, just juicing their next pump, and they're not interested in the revolution at all. Ugh. And it was the total opposite when I went to these you know, smaller places it was people that were there for the revolution and they're like i don't even know the price nice <laughs> i don't care about that i just stack so that's cool so midwest and then um well i guess i went to south dakota kansas city that's still midwest mm -hmm. and then from there to denver and then through the rockies and down to phoenix now and was from phoenix was that like the yeah. most beautiful part of the ride the Colorado trick. Yes. I've always wanted to ride out there in Colorado. Yeah, that was gorgeous. And I was very lucky. My my dad wanted to come and join me for part of the ride. So I asked him, could you join for this these days from Denver to Phoenix? And 
he figured it out, took time off, and was able to rent a bike and ride with me from Denver to Phoenix. Oh, that's so, that was so very awesome. cool. Yeah, so that was the father-son ride, and there's not that many meetups between the two. I think I just stopped in, um, like, outside Montrose at uh, Jason Rick's ranch. I had met him at the Beef Initiative, and we chatted there for a little bit and got to see his ranch. But that was the only kind of Bitcoin activity that I did between those two places, other than some calls and stuff, but no in-person meetups just because it's pretty sparsely populated yeah, out there. Yeah, it's but a it desolate, was beautiful. desolate section of the country, but yeah, seems like a great place yeah, to ride a bike time. through. Mm-hmm. Phoenix was hot. People were thanking me more than usual for coming to Phoenix, and I was kind of curious why, and somebody stopped and said, you came to Phoenix in July. This is probably the hottest time you could have... <laughs> come through here and it was i mean as soon as the sun started to peak over the horizon it very quickly hit 90 100 degrees my ride from phoenix to san diego i did it in two days yeah and that that first day i was like heat stroked for most of the day I think. damn i was kind of delirious and i remember drinking a whole 32 ounce bottle of gatorade just in one go and feeling like I hadn't drank anything. Oh my God. I was so dehydrated. That is rough. Yeah, that was a rough day. Oh man. But made it, made it to San Diego. Then went up and spent about a week in the LA area and then up to San Francisco. And that's where I concluded. See, I've heard, I've heard killer stuff about the San Diego Bitcoin meetups. Um, in fact, yeah, San Diego was quite good. California was, was surprising like better than i thought it was going to be yeah you get the right people get the the right people you get the right crowd you know um one of our buddies who listens to the show c-dubs he was the guy who really got me thinking about bitcoin meetups in the first place because he's uh he was just like yeah i went to the san diego bitcoin meetup and i was like oh shit bitcoin meetups i wonder if we have one around here like Mm. that would be cool and i was sort of at the point where like uh, I organized the no agenda meetups here, but I didn't want to like be the guy that does it. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to do another mm-hmm. thing. But I was just like, oh, I hope, I really hope there is one already going. And then um, I was also like, I hope there's one already going that's just like Bitcoin only type thing, you know. And sure enough, mm-hmm. Mitch and the boys they had been doing it for I think a year ish when I first started showing up at the beginning of this year. So nice. Yeah, great. Uh, just great people in general. Like, it's kind of funny. Do you notice, uh, like, what are some of the weird hobbies that you notice Bitcoiners are into that have nothing to do with Bitcoin, or at least at first glance, have nothing to do with Bitcoin? Mm. I noticed this summer there's a lot of interest in food, gardening, like growing your own food, sourcing mm. food from local farmers and ranchers, and Maybe that was just, I went to the Beef Initiative Conference very early, so I was kind of thinking about those things, but it just came up organically in conversation a lot. People are very interested in those things. Yeah, I noticed um, that too. Uh, in, in our meetups, there's like a guy that comes from beefblock.io, and there's uh, this other guy, Jake Stakes, who drives all over the damn country delivering people beef from the, uh, the Ozarks. Um, and then... He's actually the hookup for our guys for raw milk. Like Mitch buys raw milk off this dude too. And so it's funny because I had heard of Jake's steaks from other sources. And then Mitch is like, 
oh yeah, this is my raw milk guy. And I was like, hey, how you mm. doing? He, we just did another uh, Bitcoin block party. So that's where I finally oh, nice. met this guy. Um, the block parties are fantastic. We did one last spring was our first one. And it went so well that we were kind of like standing around at one of the meetups and somebody was like, when should we do the next one? I think this was like in July or something. Uh, June or July. It couldn't have been that far. Couldn't have been that long after you came through, actually. And I was like, mm. hey, we should do a Blocktoberfest. You know, we should just do one in Blocktober or in October or whatever. So that ended up being the thing. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was killer. It was always been up being a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that that idea. And Bitcoin meetups seem to be pioneering that around the country, doing block parties and markets and trying to get local merchants involved and just bring more awareness and doing sort of different venues than just going to a bar in the evening once a week or once a month, which is great and is a really good way to start. But you can branch out and do a lot more than that. That doesn't have to be the defining thing that the meetup is known for. And it's, it kind of kind of limits you to a certain type of people and certain types of conversations mm-hmm. when you can do something different like a block party or a night market or something. You start to bring in new people that wouldn't, know, wouldn't feel comfortable or as comfortable in you know, the typical meetup setting where you're at a bar or whatever. Sure. Yeah, we... Something else I notice is... It's not really like a hobby, but there's a, I notice a huge crossover and diversity of people that come to meetups, like different backgrounds and, oh, totally. and ways of thinking like that I, I haven't noticed really in, in any other social groups that I've seen, like with the exception of maybe like sports leagues in a major city, but, but even then people kind of talk to people that they're comfortable with yeah, that come from similar backgrounds or whatever, but Nowhere have I seen like electricians, plumbers, tradespeople, bricklayers that are hanging out with lawyers and finance people and tech bros. Like it's such a melting pot of different types of people. And that was really, really cool to see because you're getting to hear from people who just, I got to hear from people who have jobs that I have never thought about in my life, you know? Yeah. I've never even considered existed in some cases. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess that's that's true of ours too. Like as far as work backgrounds and trades, it can definitely be just surprising. Like who knows about Bitcoin, you know, the or or the age demographics mm-hmm. or all kinds of stuff. Like it's just refreshing to come to a place where like you can talk about it without just being like frustrated and having to like explain a bunch of stuff over and over and people are like, eh. like they don't know what you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know. People who just, yeah. like, are already read in, and so then you can actually discuss, like, things of consequence, you know? Mm-hmm. Without just getting constantly trapped into the level one type talk. Yeah, and I found that from, from a lot of meetup organizers that they said they started meetups because they wanted to find other people who were also into Bitcoin. Because either they thought they, were, they might be crazy because sure. they're the only person they know that's into it, or they just want to have that deeper conversation that they can't have with normal people because normal people are like, wait, what is a block? And just confused about everything. So when you find people who already did that research, you just have a much more fun. It's a different kind of conversation. It's not necessarily more fun, but you know, you get to have those deeper conversations and that's really hard to find. 
And I think especially when you live in a smaller city, yep. there, there is not already a, a crypto meetup where you can go meet people who are Bitcoin maxis or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find those kinds of people. So you have to start it yourself. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, Mitch and the gang already had started it for sure. Because um, I haven't missed very many. Once I started going to them, I was like, uh, we're going to keep going to these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since I got back to Thailand, I have been going to my regular Bitcoin meetup that I used to be kind of a shitcoin meetup, I think. but And that's why I had not really gone to it. I knew it existed, but went back to it. And now it seems like there, there are still people coming there that are like, yeah, I hold 50% Ethereum or whatever. That's sure. what I'm interested in. But overall, I've noticed the conversation is much different than it was in like say 2017 or 2018 when I was going to meetups. And I went to a lot of meetups as the bear market was kind of beginning in 2018, a lot of crypto meetups. And still people were so focused on focused on it as an investment opportunity, as a way to make profits or passive income. And now this could just be a, a symptom of where we are in the market cycle. And you know, if shitcoins start popping off again, then maybe the crowd will change or the conversation will change. But for now, people are very interested in the self-sovereign side of it. Even if they are primarily interested in Ethereum or what have you, they're interested in it because they see problems in the traditional monetary and financial system. And they sure. think this is a solution, which I'm all for, you know, like I think Bitcoin is the solution and I, I don't think anything else comes close to that, but that opinion could change if the evidence changes. Sure. I just want self-sovereign money. Yeah. Know? And Bitcoin just far and above for years and years has proved to be the absolute best at that. Yes. I, I would ha- have to agree with that. Um, I guess we should pause to talk about the the boosts. Uh, I've heard some boosts come in, and every time you hear that uh, bowling ball crash against the pins, that's the sound of a boost coming in. So we are on uh, the podcasting 2.0 uh, on that new new shit where you can send uh, instant lightning payments to the show, even here while we're live uh, on the air. So. Uh, I want to thank people that have been doing that, such as Servo, who was boosting the uh, boosting the show through the podcast index itself, which is always fun. Uh, podcast index, you gotta you gotta support that live tag, dog. Where are you at on the live tag? Uh, but Servo sent in thirty three thirty three and said uh, woo 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 woo, and then he said woo uh, in another one. <laughs> so we got Woo-hoo. a few woos coming through. Appreciate that. I got a woo for you. Hold on. Here it is. And then uh, we had Booberry come in a couple of times. Uh, 77, 77. He's using Boost CLI, which, of course, does support the live tag. So uh, Captain Sid should get his split. Uh, A third of that, by the way. If you're listening in the future on uh, apps like Fountain or others like that, uh, then he will get that one-third split forever and ever and ever. Um, for the live tag, you got to use Boost CLI, you got to use Podverse, or you got to use CurioCaster on the live. So some apps have some catching up to do on this live stuff. But uh, 7777 Booberry, he says, that reefer man got me tits down ass up. Well, there you go. 
he came in once again. So some of these aren't coming into my helipad, which is frustrating. But luckily we have an IRC bot in the chat room that keeps track of this shit as well. That's just how new we are, people. Uh, Booberry boosted 8888 sats, and he says, Does the good captain have a sick denim jacket? Or is that the reefer man asking? <laughs> uh, captain said, Do you have a sick denim jacket? Uh, I do have a denim jacket. It's the eye of the beholder that determines if it's sick. But uh, I wore that jacket the whole the whole trip pretty much as my main jacket because I couldn't carry much. So that was pretty much it as far as jackets go. And basically the, the story behind that jacket's kind of fun. So I bought that jacket the first time I rented a manual motorcycle and went for like a proper ride. So my story with motorcycling is... It's, Pretty recent. I started riding bikes when I moved to Thailand. Right before I moved here, I got my actual motorcycle license in the U.S., so I went through a two-day course. But you're in a parking lot. You don't go more than 20 miles an hour. So I didn't really learn how to like ride in traffic on a motorcycle. I just learned how to get off zero, basically. Sure. Not how to shift in turns and you know do all this stuff that I didn't realize until I got on a big bike. It's super important on yeah. the street. So I rented a CBR 250, like a little crotch rocket, and I decided to ride from Chiang Mai to Pai, which is about two, two and a half hours of curvy mountain roads. Ooh. And the, the day before, I thankfully I rented it the day before and did a little bit of riding in town with some friends and um, went up to this little mountain look up, lookout point, and I realized after I got back home that I have no idea how to ride this thing and it is way more dangerous than I thought. So totally, it was about 9 p.m. and I realized I need a real helmet, not this crappy rental helmet. I need a jacket, like I'm going to wear jeans and boots and stuff. So I went to a grocery store, like basically a Walmart out here, and the thickest jacket I could find was this denim jacket for 30 bucks. So I bought that and that became my first motorcycle jacket very nice i thought that's a little something between me and the pavement and thankfully i'd never crashed in it it's been a good luck charm and since then i've been collecting patches and putting patches all over it so i'm just covering it in different patches bought like 10 on the motorcycle trip and put those on as well so it's been slowly growing as this patched denim jacket that can wear when i ride well, there you go. That is the sickness factor, is having the patches, for sure. Booberry could attest yeah, to that. Yeah, the patches really add in, to it. In fact, I'm pretty sure uh, that was one of the first things I said to you when I met you in the bar, was like, my friend Booberry would be uh, all over your <laughs> denim jacket. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I remember uh, Mitch handing you some kind of a swag bag that had a few patches in it, too. Yeah, I think I got, oh, I got some pins from him. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Because BTC pins reached out to me. Yeah, I still got those. I, I took them off the jacket because they would occasionally fall off. Oh, yeah. And I didn't want to lose any. But, yeah, I've got them in a bag, and I'm thinking about where to put them where they won't have risk flying off while I'm riding. Nice. But, yeah, I got, he gave me a couple pins, or whoever his BTC pins is, they gave me a couple pins, and pretty nice. I got some good ones. Back when I was deep in the church camp scene, I used to get hella pens and put them on this hat that I had. Mm. And they were all like these Christian parody pens. So like, <laughs> it would be like the Sunkissed logo, only it'd be like Sunkissed, like S-O-N-K-I-S-S-E-D, 
or like uh, <laughs> the Mountain Dew logo, but it would be like Jesus meant to die for you. Stuff like that. That's hilarious. I had so many of them sons of bitches, dude. Oh, they were covered. I had the whole hat that I'd wear backwards, and it was just covered with these pens. Like, no real estate left. Hat is a good idea. I wear a hat a lot. Maybe I should slap the pins on there. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pins on the hat. I was thinking about a pin board, too. I forget who I saw on Twitter, but maybe it was Crypto Cloaks had like a, oh, they've got- a push pin board in his yeah. house, and he just puts pins on it. Yeah, oh, that's, that's cool. always a that's always a Good cool idea. way to do it. Yeah. I have this uh, Beatles pin collection that my dad. It was like my dad's. That he passed on to me, and um, nice. it's like a Beatles burlap thing. And then it has a bunch of like pins, like the album pins mm. and different things. In a shadow box, so it stays preserved. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Got to keep it because uh, you know, just on my wall, it's gonna get wrecked. Everything around here's wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> I have some hat that my, I think my aunt gave it to me when I was a little kid. I mean, it must have been like six years old or something. So I don't remember the story around it or anything, but I've had it in my closet since then. And it's kind of like a military, like, I don't know the, what you would cons- call the hat, but like those boat shaped hats that they have at in and out and stuff. It's like oh, one of those yeah. hats, but made of fabric. Okay. And it has like a hundred pins on it. And most of them are like, soviet stuff like communist related pins oh boy and i think maybe that that sparked my interest in like the cold war and stuff because i've always been fascinated by that cold war kitschy things this like yeah really strange 1984 like communist pins (laughs) but i've always thought about taking those pins putting them somewhere else but if i had a pin board then i could display them all there or maybe i just put that that hat in a shadow box there you go. Keep it safe. Do you have mm. a favorite patch on your jacket? That's a good question. I bought one at a, a Harley dealership that is probably my favorite now. It just says in bold letters, black on white, loud pipes save lives. Nice. I love that because it's so true. And my dirt bike here in Thailand is absurdly loud. It's way louder than the Harley was, even <laughs> though it's 300 cc's. Thanks. Because the pipe is like straight out. And I love it because people know where I am on the road. And I think that's really underappreciated in safety, especially on bikes. Like no one is looking for you, but they'll hear you if you have a loud bike. This is true. And a lot of people, my mom is one of them, complains about how loud motorcycles are and where their house is positioned. She can hear motorcycles that drive through the town pretty clearly and and I told her, like, well, I'm going to have loud pipes because I think you'd rather have me be alive than have quiet pipes. That's kind of how I see it. Like, a, a loud motorcycle, is it's a safety thing, first and foremost. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but uh, it's true. It's true. You don't have to guess where the motorcycle is when, when you can hear it and even feel it mm-hmm. rumbling up on yeah, the engine. When you can f- yeah, if you can feel the rumbling of the engine and you hear the pipes, then... You're not going to swerve into it. I hear somebody rolling up right now, sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yep, welcome to Thailand. That's probably a 125cc Honda Wave that someone just cut the pipe off of. Nice. So uh, what was the decision to move uh, out to Thailand? What brought you out there? So I grew up in the Midwest, and my dad is a, an airline pilot, commercial airline pilot. So I traveled a lot as a kid. 
and I was lucky to get exposure to a lot of different cultures and see a lot of the world from a young age. First time I left the country, I was eight, and we went to China for two weeks. And that was a totally eye-opening experience. Like, just complete, could not have been more completely different from suburban American life. Yeah. So that kind of gave me the travel bug from an early age. And so I grew up in the Midwest, and then I moved to the East Coast, went to school in Philly, and lived in New York for three years. And kind of in the middle of my time in New York, I was itching a little bit to do something else. I was not happy with the lifestyle that New York affords you. I wanted more outdoors, more nature, a slower pace of life, less of this like myopic professional focus where everyone just cares what what cool tech startup do you work for? Sure. What bank do you work for? How much money do you make? It just it's not my style, not what I was looking for. Yeah. So I slowly kind of realized that I'm not matched to this place. And so I thought I want to go somewhere completely different than this. And I want to get outside of the American bubble of the American mindset. Cause I didn't really realize it that at that time, but it, it very much was an American thing, not just a New York thing. I was ready to be outside of the U S gotcha. and just live within a different culture. So I had been to Thailand it was maybe six years ago at this point with a couple friends right when I graduated college and I fell in love with it. I mean, it's a beautiful country. The people are incredibly nice. The food's great. It just has this relaxing vibe, but not sleepy, you know, and you can hmm. get things done and it feels vibrant, but not oppressive in a way that New York or San Francisco or major American cities feel. Sure. And I think the biggest thing is there's, there's a hope here that I don't see anywhere in America. America just, it feels like dread everywhere. No matter the side of the aisle or the place on the social ladder you are, everyone thinks that and feels that tomorrow is going to be worse. I just had that feeling like, uh, no, everywhere I went in the U.S., there's not hope like there is here. Interesting. Here it feels like things are getting better and people are hopeful for the future and want to build things and improve their lives. So I, I think that really attracted me, even though I couldn't really put it into words when I wanted to leave. Sure. So I, I kind of decided I'll spend 90 days here and see if I like it. And then I was going to try Mexico city after that and Amsterdam if I didn't like Mexico city, but I fell in love with living up here. And so I just moved my whole life here pretty much after that 90 days and decided this is where I live now. And I really haven't looked back. I've kind of been waiting for that day where I'm like, okay, I want to go somewhere else. I want to try something different. I want to go back to the U S and every day I feel more and more like this is where I want to be long-term. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, man. It's very weird. I have never felt more at home anywhere in the world than here. And this is thousands of miles away from where I grew up, where I was born, yeah. where my quote unquote like home culture is, but I've never felt more at home than I do now. That's wild. That's very cool though. Uh, so do you have like, uh, I don't know, I guess what, what do you do for work over there? So I've been kind of figuring that out since I got back. So the motorcycle trip was in between two periods of my life. Basically, when I moved out here, 
I used to work for a big crypto exchange that's fully remote. Ah, uh, gotcha. And I was doing marketing for one of their products. So they basically allowed me to move out here from New York and keep my same job and salary and everything, which is insanely nice. So I just did that job up until about a year ago. I quit in, I think in September of 2021. It just became too corporate for me and I had saved a lot and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go try and make it on my own, try and start some businesses or do freelance or whatever, but really had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And so during that time, I did a little bit of freelance writing and I've been working on these websites I've been building. Um, one of them is called whatismoney.info. That's a Bitcoin finance site. So I was working on that a little bit. And then I hatched the plan for the motorcycle trip. So that kind of consumed all my time going up until the launch of that in April. Now coming back to Thailand, I'm revisiting the sites again and starting to do more freelance work, figuring out how I can do freelance writing to keep myself going. Being out here, like the financial stress is way lower because I can live very comfortably for $2,000 a month, like way more comfortably than I was living in New York City. Yeah, I bet. I can live a very nice life for that much. And doing some writing, I can generate that pretty quickly. So I'm starting to figure out how do I get clients and structure contracts and do gigs and whatnot to make what I need to make to get by. And then I'll put my time into websites and trying to grow other streams of income, basically passive income that'll reward me for life. So that's kind of what I'm focused on now. Cool. So the the whole tour of the US thing, um, I'm guessing it wasn't really fully planned out. Like you didn't know you were going to go to 30 plus meetups when you started out, I'm assuming. Yes, I had a rough idea of what I wanted the route to be. But the timing was all kind of up in the air. And, and I didn't, I'd never done anything like this before. I don't know anyone that's now, since I've done it, I found out there are some people have done kind of similar tours, but I was flying by the seat of my pants the entire time. Nice. So I got Swan on board and, and the other sponsors to kind of help out and they helped me connect to some people. But it was basically just me riding around trying to meet as many people as I could and generate conversations and meetups and opportunities to get together with Bitcoiners and learn about their lives. So it kind of happened organically as I was doing it. Most of it just sort of fell in place as I was doing it because I, I couldn't have pre-planned a lot of it and I didn't want to. Sure. I kind of knew for this kind of thing, when you're doing a road trip, you want to be pretty flexible because you never know what's going to change as you're doing it, what opportunities are going to come up. So I kind of nailed down a couple major dates, but otherwise I kind of just floated and figured out where I wanted to go as I was going. That's solid. Yeah. I, I love that whole, uh, you know, the journey thing, just trust the journey and, um, take it mm -hmm. a day by a day at a time. And you can, especially being on a motorcycle, you know, you can just kind of hop here and there. Yeah. I had a couple of boosts yeah. come in. Boost CLI is hot tonight. Harv Hat hit us with uh, 10,101 sets. Ooh. No note, just boosting the live tag. So appreciate that, Harv Hat. <laughs> and uh, 17,776 from Booberry again, who says, <laughs> right on, a man of the cloth. Awesome backstory on the jacket. It's only a matter of time till I start working hard towards stickers and patches and pins. 
for Sats V for V flavored. There you go. Yes. He does uh, Behind the Schemes every Monday night, which is another mm. uh, hot happening, live boosted reading podcast. Uh, nice. Those guys over there, they will like, if you boost uh, 6666, they slaughter a goat on the show in real time. So. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, he's very deep into the live boost situation, man. He is. Uh, yeah, this is this is the first time I've been on a podcast. I think that does the live boosting. This is pretty cool to watch it come in. I mean, this feels like the the first time I sent a lightning transaction, or the first time I sent an on chain transaction. It's like, wow, it's wild. <laughs> it's so that's happening. It's so much fun. Just people are just out there, and you can just you know send those in and boost those in. There's also people streaming sats per minute, which. I'm not as good at seeing, but I can like see the the balance go up every once in a while in mm. hel- in helipad. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. Thank you out there. We love you. Thank um, you. Someday we're gonna get better at you know thanking people streaming sats because that's a really cool thing to do too. But uh, it, oh, he says there's 27 different audio boosts and 148 Germatria boosts currently for his show. I think. So, like, depending on the number of Satoshis you boost, like, you'll get a different sound or a different response in the chat. Whoa. So, it's, it's got a whole thing there, man. It's like a whole rabbit hole. Yeah, there's so much you can do with that. Uh, it's very cool. Nice. Very fun stuff. Um, I've just been plugging away, but I'm just not... I just have not developed the chops yet for being able to build what I want to build, so... I just kind of plink around in the sandbox for right now, getting frustrated. A hell of a lot further than me, man. (laughs) So I appreciate it. I'm learning a lot. Uh, It's fun, though. We do do have a shitload of fun. Um, The live tag we haven't even had for that long. The live tag has been... Well, we did the first live show in February with Dave Jones of the Podcast Index. And uh, ever since then, there's just been kind of like a... A small core few of us who are using that live item tag and doing these live shows, but I mean, it's a hell of a lot of fun. It's like the coolest thing in podcasting that's come along in decades. So, yeah, I remember looking at podcasting and must have been 2014 or 2015. Yeah. And it was kind of getting big then, but there weren't really any tools. And that was, that was part of, you know, what I, I was looking at, the the angle that I was looking at it from was, what are the different tools and things for creators and listeners that are going to make this work? Because it was starting to pop off and the journalists and the tech world and stuff were talking about podcasting is going to be the next big thing. And then it never really did. I mean, there was like Stitcher and Anchor and a few that made it a little bit easier, but it kind of died off again. Yep. And then it seems like the last two years, maybe because of lockdowns and whatnot too, it seems to have blown up again. And especially within Bitcoin, I mean, podcasting is massive. It's true. Yeah. It's kind of funny because when, when the, when the streaming sats thing came to podcasting 2.0, we tried to get in there like as early as possible. Like I think we're coming up on the two year mark of actually being able to receive lightning to the show was that was December of 2020 Mm. when we first started that up. And when we started, there was like, oh, I don't even think there was 100 shows that were value-enabled. And now there's like 8,000 or something. Whoa. So I didn't know it was nearly that high. Yeah. Holy crap. It's, it's a shitload. And um, there's like, 
I don't know, a couple dozen apps altogether that you can listen and send sats through. Isn't it something like that? I don't know. Nudepodcastapps.com. You can, you can look at, uh, find <laughs> them all out. Um, there's boosting in the wild going on in here, Harvat says. 3333. Thank you, Harvat. <laughs> a wild boost rolls in and knocks over all the pins. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it gives you this interactivity, plus it's just like this. I mean, so I run a lightning node now, and I never really even... This is what got me back into taking Bitcoin seriously, or like really for the first time taking it seriously. Before Bitcoin was just kind of like something I bought when it went under 400 just one time because I wanted mm. some just weird money. You know, I just wanted weird money. And mostly I used it for degenerate poker gambling and other mm. kind of shit like that. Um, I bought it one time ever and then I just went to faucets after that because I learned about faucets and I was like, oh shit, people will give you Bitcoin just for clicking on a button and then people will give you doge like i got some doge back then in those days for the same thing you know they would give you like four thousand doge for clicking a button and uh i did the hell out of that and then i would just forget that i had it and like just it would just sit in wallets you know and then i'd come back in a year and a half or two and i'd be like oh shit i can you know buy even more than what i could buy before mm. like my my purchasing power just kept going up so I would buy yeah. something stupid and have it shipped to me and wait a couple more years. And I, I just kept doing that for a while. Like it never really clicked for me. <laughs> and then when this podcasting 2.0 thing came out, I was like, oh shit, you gotta have a lightning node to do that. Uh, at the time, that was the only way. Now there are a lot of service providers. Like uh, I think Albi is the one that I just tell people to get if they're just starting out and want to just play. Um, and I think, that's what you set up like in a matter of just a few minutes before we started, right? Dude, it was faster than I could have imagined. Like you put in your email address and a password and then confirm the password and hit sign up. And then it was on the dashboard with the key value that you said to get. And I was stunned. Like there's nothing else that yeah. they want me to do to set this up. It was really fast. It's so damn easy. That's like, what I love about pretty it. Pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah, we could we basically plug those values right into the RSS feed, and then all of the apps that support you know the the streaming sats, all of the new podcast new and nude they both work. If you go to new podcast apps or nudepodcastapps.com, <laughs> just depending on how many clothes you happen to be wearing at the time, uh, mm. but they just look at that value tag and then when the user makes a payment or, you know, sends a boostagram or whatever they happen to be doing, that value tag is just where the money gets split up and goes to. And so it's just like programmatic royalties forever. And all you got to do is just, it's like an agreement that the creators can make with their, with their producers or with whatever, you know, it's just right there in the RSS mm -hmm. feed. You don't have to go get permission. You don't have to wait three days to withdraw. You don't have to do anything. Like it just, pew, it just goes to those places every time it's just automatically split up it's so fucking cool and it yeah it changed yes. like every like i had to rethink everything i didn't really know shit about running a node or about what a block was or about like on chain versus mm. the lightning off chain versus uh i didn't know what fucking fractional reserve banking what you know like all this shit that i've learned just from virtue of 
setting up this node and playing more with the lightning network. It's like, it's incredible. My parents think that I'm fucking insane. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Which is fine. Yeah. The rabbit hole is deep, man. I, I remember in high school, I was very interested in economics and in finance. And I thought I wanted to be a banker, like an investment banker or something. Oh, yeah. And so I remember in economics, the first class, the teacher told us, like, there are these rules that are going to define everything that you learn in economics from here through graduating a, from a university with an economics degree. And we know that these rules aren't true in practice, but every model that you learn relies on them being true. And it was things like all humans are rational, all humans have perfect information, all these uh -huh. like simplifications that are made so that economists can create really complex mathematical models that apparently tell the future when really they, they're the most abhorrent at telling the future. So they're like the worst possible tools and they really don't describe anything. They just make the situation more complex. Sure. So after that first lesson and then getting more and more into economics, I'm like, why do we need to learn all these things if we know that they don't necessarily map to reality? It seems like we're learning a parallel universe but I never had much resolution to that question until I discovered Bitcoin. Mm. And then I started reading into Austrian economics and all these different schools of thought that I'd never encountered before. And something clicked where I thought, wow, this is what I've been missing. This is yeah. what actually describes how these things work. Um, and, and I guess all those mathematical models that I knew, okay, these are probably bullshit confirmed for me yeah they are actually bullshit and you can't really model out a lot of this behavior it's too complex so we need other ways of dealing with it and central banking surely isn't a good way to deal with a complex economy and there's a lot of problems discovering bitcoin just laid all of that bare immediately definitely well it's it it's like a great system, but just for like a select few people, <laughs> it's like a fucking yeah. kick-ass system for the people pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, taking an intro econ course is frustrating as fuck because they just basically say, "Okay, this is this is econ. Basically, we know that everything that you do fucks things up. So like, if you ever intervene, then that fucks things up." <laughs> and then mm -hmm. then yeah, the deeper you go the more you learn about like now here's how we decide what to do when we intervene and we're like wait wait did you just teach us like never to fucking intervene because all of it creates deadweight loss like f price floors create a deadweight loss price ceilings create a deadweight loss tariffs create a deadweight loss taxes create a deadweight loss like what are we doing mm -hmm. but uh, it creates a windfall for the right people and so that's why like it's done this way <laughs> It's a fucking yeah. It's it, really, it's a fucking crime if you look too hard at it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's very hard to go through that education and still remain rational because you, if you think rationally about it, you're like this is bullshit. But yeah. then, if you get a degree in it, you can't think that it's bullshit because then your degree is bullshit. So you have to create the mental gymnastics to justify why it exists yeah and i was not capable of those mental gymnastics so i jumped off of the 
economics degree trained pretty early and decided, no, this is not what I want to do. And I don't want to go into banking finance because it was the same type of thinking. You know, we don't know why this is happening or where it's coming from, but we're making money, so we don't care. Right. That's that's probably what keeps most of them still ticking. It's just like, well, you know, but we got paid. Yeah. Yeah, they get paid a lot. Paid very handsomely. That's crazy. The whole thing is crazy. Mm-hmm. Degrees are a shit coin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... I had that thought many times while I was in school. Like, why are we really here? Why are we learning at this institution? Because we're not really learning anything practical. And Yeah, I feel like schools encourage a certain type of thinking, like a certain mindset. And I kind of figured this out in like junior, senior year that the school is teaching you to achieve, not to put in effort sure and real success is about putting in a lot of effort over and over again and then you get achievement but you don't get that without putting in the effort so and and this affected me throughout college like if i did university again i would do it completely differently i would have taken completely different classes i would have got a much worse gpa but instead i chose classes that i knew were going to be easy that i would get a good grade on because i thought if i have a 4.0 then i'll get a good job Right. Because having a good GPA in high school helped me get into a good college. So if I just do that again, then I'll get a good high-paying job. And it teaches you to not admit mistakes, to not uh, try on things that you might fail at. When you do fail, you think, oh, this is just not for me, and you quit right. immediately. So you just stick with what you're you're innately good at and do it at a low level so that you never fail. And I feel like that's kind of what school pushes you to, pushes you into. It doesn't push you to, it doesn't reward you for putting in a lot of effort right? unless you get a perfect score, you know? So yeah, that really that's true. Me. It's like uh, the incentives are all aligned against any kind of challenge or any kind of uh, new thought or shaking up or questioning like the current paradigm. And yep. it's like, if you just go with the flow and... Keep, keep your head down, which are both things like that I wasn't really incredibly great at. I mean, going with the flow, I suppose it just depends on what the flow is, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, this whole status quo flow, I was not really feeling so much in school. I ended up yeah. dropping out. Lorian made it through mm. with a journalism degree. Yeah, it was mm. stupid. Which is like, <laughs> it's mind-boggling. Hey, it does, it's degrees still open doors like crazy, though. It's wild, That's yeah. That's true. Yep. Yeah. I was one of the last watchdog journalists to come out of my school now, too, because they got rid of the journalism program, and now it's just oh. strategic communications, which is a much wow. more honest <laughs> title for what's going on. Propaganda, yeah. Yep. Yeah. They call it Stratcom because you got to be cool, you know, so you have to abbreviate it. <laughs> be a PR person. We're in Stratcom. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, that literally sounds like a like a defense department in the Soviet Union. Right. Well, now they probably all just write these fucking puff pieces for SBF and, and all these fucking oh, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's some strategic yeah, communication. I'm in, a, I'm in a debate with a couple friends here about whether SBF will go to jail. And I kind of go back and forth on it, but especially after seeing those puff pieces, now I'm swinging way back towards the, he won't go to jail side. Like he I would will, be very surprised if he 
has any sort of a negative yeah, consequence like that. Yeah, exactly. Like I think he, he will either get written off as like, Oh, he was, you know, he had big dreams and he had all the best intentions, but he was just not uh, competent enough. Like he was too yeah. young. Yep. And so he just made a mistake. Or if it, if they can't do that, then it will be um, mental illness or something. Like, cause sure. I don't know if you read that Vox article, but it's like reads like sociopath uh-huh. 101. Like he cannot empathize. So let's say, oh, like he couldn't, you know, he's, he's mentally deranged and that's why, and he won't get jail time. Yeah. I just have a hard time seeing any sort of actual uh, consequences <laughs> coming down on that guy's head for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like it, which is so unfortunate. But yeah, I know it's it's super wild. Like uh, I didn't expect because to me, I don't know. To me, it, it, when this first story first broke, it was just like, oh shit, here we go again. Like the fucking Grand Theft Auto meme. Like that's how I felt about mm-hmm. it. You know, like like oh another one. You know, like uh, but but this one hit different like this one hit everyone different and i had no idea how deep ftx was in the fucking normie land um i had no idea they had their name on the side of a fucking stadium i had no idea that the tom brady thing even though i've seen like these yeah. i guess i've seen these commercials and i just didn't really like pay attention or know you know yeah, I uh, didn't know him. I knew about the FTX arena, but that was the only like mainstream thing that I knew about, and that he had gone to Washington. But I didn't realize that like a lot of people saw him as representing crypto in Washington. That Tom Brady was shilling him. All these celebrities. He had the the commercial with Larry David. Like yeah. I didn't realize it was that. I only big. saw some of this shit. So like it's wild because I don't know why somebody must have knew something was coming down the pike because. Like two or three weeks before this story really busted wide open, I saw that now infamous YouTube video where the guy from uh, the UAE or whatever, like he flies out from Dubai and is like, this is Sam, the world's most generous billionaire or whatever. And he's like handing $100 bills to randos and shit. And he's like, I want to change the climate or whatever. (laughs) And... I was like, what the fuck is this cheese dick all about? You know, like I had seen him a couple of times as just the sloppy kid who's always in tennis shoes and some like shorts on stage with people like in suits, you know, <laughs> like I had seen him in that mm-hmm. context a few times, but I was just like, to me, it's just another shit coiner like everybody else, you know, like I didn't really see why or what stood out about him, but yeah. now it's like, yeah, what? Like our grandparents are talking about the shit, and we're like, "Wait, what the fuck?" When I read his background and saw a few like clips of him, I like formed an impression. Okay, this guy's a mercenary. Like, I really didn't think I didn't think he was gonna like commit fraud to the extent that he did. Sure, but I thought he is not in this for the revolution. He's not in this to change the financial system. He's in this to make himself a king. I mean, the fact that he was a quantitative trader at Jane Street, like, and his utilitarian philosophy, I thought this guy is very self-serving. He wants to get really rich. He wants power. That's it. Yeah. You know? But I didn't think he was going to be a complete fraudster to try and get there, but apparently he was. Yeah, it just seemed like uh, he just, like, coasted his way to everything, you know? Like... 
I don't know. They say that, you know, the, the initial way he got his money was just the price disparity or price discrepancy between the Asian markets and the U.S. markets. And so he was just like the bridge there. And he would just buy on the high side or buy on the low side and sell on the high side, which, you know, any moron can figure out once you figure it out. Yeah. Number low well, here, number higher here. I, I've seen people now starting to question that. Of course, now, not before, but. Sure. That that arbitrage existed. My understanding is because the banking system was it was so hard to get the Korean won or the Japanese yen out after. That's why it was so much higher. There's no reason that it would be higher. Sure, but there had to be some blockage there, right? That's why it was higher in those two countries. And if these massive funds that do international arbitrage for a living for 10, 20 years, couldn't figure it out and right. arb that back to a zero difference. Why was SBF able to do that and make so much money off of it as like a kid that came from Chain Street? That was kind of weird. There's a lot of weird. There's like the longer this goes on, the more weird shit just floats up. Like the, <laughs> yeah. the political connections and his parents and shit. And you're just like... I I thought that the weirdest of all of it was that this whole meltdown happens the weekend of midterms. It's mm-hmm. like there's a whole fucking election going on, and then all of a sudden, oh, SB, uh, SBF and his fucking whole thing's on fire. You know, this was the guy who was Captain Savaho like three months ago when Voyager and some other guys went down, Three Arrows and, and that shit. Yeah, he, he extended lines of credit to Voyager and BlockFi. Now they're screwed. <laughs> so fucked, dude. It's just like everybody was wow. in this big ass daisy chain sucking each other off, and now like, yeah, it all goes to shit. But it's a great, it's a great parable for the traditional banking system. Like I saw a great tweet. Go try to pull like more than ten thousand dollars out of a bank account in the U.S. Right, and you'll have problems withdrawing that. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. Yeah, you can't do how bank people runs don't and... see that. Yeah, people think like, oh, we're all, everything's fine. That's just in crypto. That They weren't, crypto is not the important part of FTX. The important part of FTX is they were a, a shadow bank operating on fiat money. They printed their own tokens. Right, yeah. And they seed invested in these small float shit coins, and they used them to pump their balance sheet. Yeah. That's what happens with every bank and every, like, large financialized corporation today yeah all the way up to the tippy top of the federal reserve man i mean yeah it's all it's all debt-based too like their balance sheet is not that Mm -hmm. different from ftx it's uh (laughs) it's just a bunch of debt loaned out backed by their fucking shitcoin that they happen to make called the u.s dollar but it's the same it's the same proportions like the gold in there is like fucking less one less than one percent yeah nothing i there was a great clip of ken griffith from citadel which is like one of the biggest high frequency trading firms maybe the biggest high frequency trading firm uh talking about the the meltdown of sbf and how bad his balance sheet was and he said something about the balance sheet and how that was a massive red flag that they had printed their own money or something like that (laughs) yeah and anyway people were commenting on it like ken your balance sheet has 60 billion dollars on it way bigger than the entire market cap of ftx that's listed as assets uh sold but not bought like literally we have a 60 billion dollar hole this is the line item for it because they're shorting something (laughs) like holy crap 
beautiful. And you're calling out FTX for that same behavior. Like that's that's exactly what you guys engage well, in every single day. It also you just have this much more like violence and guns behind it and exactly. political support. Basically, right. you have you've been doing it for longer. Political machine. So you're like more yeah. protected in it. People are just like, exactly. oh, well, that's the way it's always been since like you know 1917. I don't really know any difference. Uh, it's a legal grift. It's so fucked, man. It's so fucked. Yeah, but I, I guess the, the upshot going back to SPF going to jail, like if he doesn't go to jail, I personally will lose a ton of confidence in the U.S. legal system if that happens. And there are a lot of things before that made me lose confidence in the U.S., but I think that not happening would just set off major alarm bells. Yeah. And a lot of the people who were involved in FTX, a lot of the crypto shit funds, shitcoin funds and everything – they will hopefully start to realize, okay, this is not like a financial system problem. This is a government, goes all the way to the top. This is a government legal monetary problem that we're dealing with. And if the biggest exchange going down as a complete fraud doesn't land somebody in jail, like we need to fix that system. Totally. I think it will be another moment a lot of people will hopefully wake up. Yeah, I hope so. It's a two-tier thing for sure. Like... uh I think all the same uh, factors of like, I don't know, this whole thing, it, it has another element too of the same thing we saw with like the Purdue Pharma uh, be having an example made out of it for the OxyContin. Mm-hmm. Uh, when all those fuckers operate the same way, like all these big pharma companies operate the exact same way. They push the exact same bullshit drugs that you don't need that fucking kill you. And they do it for profit. And they were just able to take Purdue Pharma, single them out. They were able to take OxyContin, single it out, and say, oh, this was the really bad stuff, and these guys need to be punished. And so, I don't know, there's also this other side of the coin of even if there is, by some, in my opinion, by some miracle, some kind of a punishment or consequence, it'll just go to him, and now, like, we can all say, well, he was the bad guy who fucked everybody, and... Already, like, there's no Do Kwan or, you know, there's no other of mm-hmm. these motherfuckers. They're already forgotten because now it's like SBF is like the bad guy of the week. And mm-hmm. uh, we can just say, well, it was all his fault and everybody else is cool, like, because they're not him. And all the other shit coins are cool because they're not FTT yep. or whatever. Like, it's so wild how, like, this shit can happen over and over and over and over. But, you know, now people are like, oh, uh, I'm going to move all my shit to Binance because they seem safe and uh, FTX mm-hmm. was a bad deal. When you can just like throw it on your own shit and be like, oh, look, I don't have to trust anybody. It's on my shit. Look at that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if he's thrown down just as the fall guy for all of this fraud and then regulation and maybe like CBDC comes in to save the day as the new system will prevent SPF from ever happening again, basically by legalizing the grift. Right. Into, by you know, and then... By setting up precise rules of how to fuck everybody over. Yeah, exactly. And uh, making you sign up for a license to fuck everybody over and this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, like, if you're going to fuck everyone over, you've got to give us some of the profits. You can't just hide out in the right. Bahamas and keep it in, in shit coins. Yeah, you got to pay for protection money, and then <laughs> it's cool. You can rug everybody. Yep. I, mean, I do think it's hilarious that they didn't have any Bitcoin. And, yeah, and that also, seems like, like that seems like bullshit to me, don't you think? Like 
there's maybe they took it out right yeah, before it like yeah, but fell off a boat or whatever people say you know exactly yeah but in any case they were definitely short a large amount of bitcoin i mean I if anybody tries to look into my butthole i have no bitcoin as well like so it doesn't really like surprise me but <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah it, uh, it that revelation was pretty interesting like as God, as conniving as that guy and his team were, they didn't think to hold Bitcoin to get their profit of their grift out. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, you got to wonder, They just right? held their own random shit coins. Like, yeah, I really yeah, wonder. But glad he doesn't, well, hopefully he doesn't have that much Bitcoin. Right. He, well, and, and then you have to wonder if that's the case, then they're selling then they're sitting here selling all this Bitcoin that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So where's the fucking price of Bitcoin and, and the, uh, you know, like, that's the that's one of the most beautiful things about the whole system is like you can see on the blockchain how much Bitcoin is minted every day, how much is mined every day. And exactly, it's all perfectly accounted for. So if these assholes are selling a bunch that doesn't exist, then the supply's off, then the price is off, then a lot of things like aren't, reflecting reality Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i I hope this wakes people up to that you know you don't have bitcoin unless you're holding it in cold storage yeah and that isn't just a personal risk for you but it's a risk for the entire for everyone for every bitcoin holder because the price signal can be manipulated same thing happened with gold if you're not holding if you just have paper they're going to create ious and push the price down so you you know, even if you're just in it for number go up, take hold of it. Otherwise, you don't know if they're using you as a pawn to create IOUs. Absolutely. No, it's like, uh, I don't know, man. Everybody who's just like, oh, well, regular people, like, it's too hard. I'm seeing this fucking absolute soft cock take everywhere. Where it's like, yeah. how is this too hard? It's like, it's not fucking hard. Most of the shit we're expected to do, I mean, you're expected to get in and operate a vehicle, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. that's not really hard either. But like at first, it, you, you know, you got to learn some shit and you have to take an incredible amount of responsibility in order to yeah. operate a car, which is heavy machinery. And you do it every day and you're expected to do it. And I don't like holding your private keys isn't as hard as driving a car. Mm-hmm. It's fucking easier. Yeah. Or nearly as dangerous. It's fucking well, you're losing his yeah. money, not your life. Right. And you aren't losing yeah, shit that's... either. It's like you you got your words right here on a piece of paper. Put them somewhere. You got a password. You got to remember your fucking passwords. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Like, where's the fucking, where's the hard part? People are like, I don't trust myself. Man, I hate that phrase. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you wake up, get out of bed, dress yourself, brush your teeth? If you don't trust yourself, like you, who the fuck, <laughs> once you're an adult, you're steering the ship, man. Like you were already born. So it's too fucking late to not trust yourself. You were already born. Yeah. Like who the fuck else is. Yeah. Like, build and build that trust. You know, that's not a state. That's a temporary state, not a permanent state. Sure. Like you, if you don't trust yourself, then figure out how to do that. So frust- another thing that kind of frustrated me about, um, maybe it's just our generation, but I don't know. It seems like people are stuck in this like adolescence. It's like totally a great show. Arrested Development. Uh-huh. There's Arrested Development everywhere. P- 
people, the whole adulting meme, like oh, people God. can't figure out how to do their own fucking laundry and people... they're clapping themselves on the back when they can go to a laundromat and do laundry. It's <laughs> insane people... to me that literally can't even like this is a fucking common phrase yeah. now they literally can't yeah, even it's like, like okay there are some things that are difficult in life but they're they shouldn't be out of your ability to learn correct certainly yeah. plenty of things i can't do that you know i will, probably will never be able to do but i think having an attitude that yeah i can learn this thing and i can do it and f- come on remembering 24 words or writing them down somewhere safe and keeping them yeah Pretty much any human adult alive can do that. Yes. Just like you can do your freaking laundry, you can pay your rent. Like, these are basic things that when you were 10 years old, yeah, maybe you couldn't do. But 100 years ago, 10-year-olds probably could do that pretty they well. They probably to were doing that. Latin and Greek in high school, in, in, in not even high school, in primary school. Yeah. Latin but and Greek, like, man. Just don't, you, you're doing nobody a service by entertaining that adolescence like oh, grow dude. the fuck up it's like idiocracy they said it was just because uh the retards outbred the smart people but really it's because everyone just lowered expectations over time and every time yeah. every time somebody says well most people aren't going to be able to do that or well most people don't want to do that that's you that's you making everybody fucking dumber thanks a lot mm-hmm. it gets me boiled man yeah, it's get people to step up That's and like, okay, yeah, there are some things that are much more difficult and hard and take a lot of training and and I'm not saying like we should put people into rocket ships and expect them to fly them. Sure. But writing down and saving 24 words is not a complex activity. No. Exactly. If you can drive a car, you can do that. And that's what it's really uh, not hard. That's why from this whole beginning of this uh, 2.0 journey, we just tell people, hey, you know, if you do a show, run a node, run a lightning node. We call it get in the car and drive because it's such a perfect like. <laughs> yep. it, we we use the metaphor at every fucking possible angle between running a node and running a car. Like it just it lends itself to so many angles. It's so perfect. Like. The fact that you can't really know everything about it until you get in there and start moving it around. Like, a lot of people are hesitant. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I don't really know enough yet, right, to actually get noted up. And it's like, well, you're not, you're never going to fucking know until you spin one up and, like, you know, get frustrated and have to learn a couple things. And then all of a sudden, you know a couple things and you get less frustrated. Like, it's the same yep. with a car. Like, you don't know it a parallel park at first, but you set a couple trash cans up in the fucking driveway and you'd learn the shit, you know, and you run over the trash cans a couple of times and you figure it yeah. out. Like it's just, yeah, you figure out how to do it in a way that's like relatively low risk and yes, you try it and you get better and better at it. Like this is how people fucking learn. And to go back to the, the school example, I think the way that we're taught, like t- teaches us not to, doesn't teach us how to do that yeah. at all. It doesn't teach you how to, how to learn it just is like here's a bunch of facts remember them for the test if you can remember them you're smart and you're going to get into a good college and have a good job and if you can't you're an idiot and you're useless like it doesn't help anyone to really grow in their life totally oh it's so frustrating the arrested development is perfect way to put it actually Mm. because it's it's like they want us in this perpetual state of helplessness or you know, perceived helplessness. Like they don't really actually yeah. want us helpless because they don't want to have to like take care of us. 
to that extent, but they want us to feel helpless enough to just rely on the system and rely on everybody else. Like, oh, you can't do that. You can't, you know, just just let somebody else handle that for you and pay them the fee and, uh, you know, trust them to fucking gamble with your life savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's learned helplessness. Learned helplessness, yeah. It's fucking alarming, man. It's fucking yes. alarming. And then you go and you but fucking... Get the anxiety because you can't put a letter in your mailbox because you have to talk to somebody at the post <laughs> office. So then you go and you yeah. download an app and you can fucking chat somebody to get Zoloft right to your fucking front door, man. You don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, dude. People really yeah. live this way. Yeah. But that's that's another reason I enjoyed Bitcoin Meetup so much is the... It's, again, it's not like a, a habit or anything. Maybe it is, but... People generally at Bitcoin meetups were the total opposite of that. They're the types of people that I have no idea how to do this. Yeah. So I'm going to try it and play around with it and learn and get better. And that's how they approach life. And it's so hard to find those people nowadays. Like I that. know. I have difficulty finding people like that. It's, but they're, it's terrifying. Everyone at a Bitcoin meetups like that. You got to feel yeah. like there's going to be just some sort of fucking, maybe not mass extinction event, but mass like. You're going to have to figure it out event like where something big <laughs> yeah. fucking breaks and everybody's going to be like, oh, shit, I need to boil water what do I do now? or, you know, something yeah. like and they really have to step back and think and like, fucking make things work for themselves. Yeah, I think there will. And it's going to be tough for a lot of, a lot of people. It's going to be tough ready, for man. everyone, you know, sure. But it's yeah. going to be very tough for a lot of people that have that mindset. Because they just block themselves, basically, from figuring out what they need to figure out to survive and thrive. Sad. It's wild, man. It's so wild. I can't relate. I can only, like, like I could offer advice if it's ever asked, but I could never fucking relate, man. I don't know. Like, trust, fuck, I trust myself because I put this whole goddamn thing together. Like, how do you not trust yourself, man? Yeah. How do you know? Yeah, and that's the stuff? thing. I think people people don't know how to get started with it. It's like, okay, don't say don't send set some massive goal that's completely unachievable. Set a small step and do a little bit. Like you yeah. starting this podcast, you didn't just say, Okay, I'm gonna get three hundred people and interview all of them and have all this infrastructure and a lightning node and everything. You probably started with one interview with on freaking Zoom. And then slowly grow from there and learn yeah. more things and branch out. You know, no one figures out anything overnight. It takes yep. time. Get frustrated, quit for a few you years, get, come back. Exactly. Get frustrated. You get confused. You don't know what to do for a week and you feel like it's all over, but kind of just have to have faith that you're going to figure it out and keep plugging along. Absolutely, man. No, that's the, I don't know. It's like, I can't, you know, I know I can't see the uh, the future, predict the future. I know that I can't, I don't have all the answers now. Fuck, I don't even know where to look for a lot of the answers. But the thing that I know is if I keep slamming my head against this wall, I'll either, like, break the wall or find the window or find a door or something, you know, like, it's going to change eventually. Mm -hmm. But, like, just giving up at the very first sign of uh, pushback or adversity is, like... That's the one thing that bums me out about most people our age, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like they won't they won't keep going against it, you know. Yeah, just there's so much 
joy, I think, to be had from exploring and challenging yourself. And a lot of people just deny themselves that. Yeah, I get uh, too bored or when it's like complacent, same thing, day in, day out. You know, yeah. there's like no challenge. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, uh, uh-oh, you're getting boomer checked in the chat now. Zoom? <laughs> 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 Who uses Zoom? Oh, fuck. Can't even stream sats on it. God yeah, what, it. what the fuck? Oh, my God, man. Someday we're going to be saying that. People are going to be saying that. Yeah. Can't even stream sats on Zoom. We already call the Apple Podcasts the legacy app. <laughs> <laughs> it is, really. I mean, it's like the first podcast app and they never really did anything with it i know it's it goes for a lot of apple products they yep. just have the product and they never change it yeah because it works hey it works just go yeah. uh it comes on your phone automatically <laughs> there you go we don't need to ask people to download it we just need to sell them the phone it comes with exactly it's perfect what could go That's wrong it's not where they make their money so why would they improve it exactly yeah there's no way to really monetize the network unless you want to like be gross just why we mm-hmm. chose the value for value side of things man like we can just let people uh honestly decide what the value is and where it is as adults and we just trust them and then we can focus on just putting value in making our product something that people will find value in yeah it's pretty sweet instead of being like the fucking bankless guys and be like <laughs> well we like calling nexo we like bitcoin <laughs> but check this out 12% yield? Are you kidding me? Sign up now with promo code doot-doo-doo. <laughs> like, yeah, their, their meltdown over the FTX thing is it's pretty funny. I've always found the Ryan guy like extremely cringe. Totally cringe. And I don't know if I follow him now, but I followed him for a long time just because there's some part of me is maybe it's like the same instinct that makes you want to watch horror movies. Like, I enjoyed seeing the cringe oh yeah it's very delicious i love it when uh he he just like i the only i've never watched a full one of their shits but i just always see it clipped when uh the maxis start hammering ass over it and Mm -hmm. um i'm totally there for the shit posts and so this last one because they had a few of these they had a few similar things when the voyager shit happened uh, and they were just like, oh my God, we're so fly- we're just totally floored and sidewinded by this, like completely like out of nowhere, you know, this whole shit happening again. And then they can't believe it. And, uh, th- this previous one where like, dude was just like pretty much crying, like trying not to break down in tears over like, oh yeah, you told a bunch of people to do that too, didn't you? Like, <laughs> Fucking hundreds of thousands of people are over there because your ass said it was cool. Like, yeah, it's fucked up, isn't it? And he's just like, uh, the Ryan guy is just kind of like, just still on. He's just like on. He's always on. And he's just asking the question of like, yeah, so you're like really feeling this right now, huh? (laughs) It's like, are you a fucking robot, man? Yeah, are you really feeling the responsibility of scamming hundreds of thousands of listeners who trusted you? Uh, I'm kind of glad he is feeling that. I know. It's like questioning why am I here? Because why are you there? This guy might be a person. No, this Ryan guy, I I still haven't seen any signs, but like (laughs) his co host. Very SPF vibes. Yeah, he doesn't really understand what he's done. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, the whole thing of like, 
these guys did just don't understand. The same with that Raul Paul, whatever the fuck his name mm-hmm. is, uh, who was like really in the shit when the Terra Luna thing happened uh, for being the shill. Or like Pomp when every single fucking one of these happens and Pomp is just like the guy who's just like, I like Bitcoin. I like speaking my mind. I like pumping people who give me money and then I give them money and then we give each other money and then we give each other hand jobs and we give each other more money. Oh yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? I don't understand. Like I just, when he first got into fountain and put his money in the fountain, I was like, ah, kind of makes my stomach do flip flops. And like people were like sending me emails telling me I was an asshole Mm. and to like, you know, fucking shut up and stuff. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? Like, you know, you just want to be careful is all. Like, you know, you don't want to just dive into this fucking yield farm shit. Okay? Yeah. Like, anytime, okay, anytime you're taking your money and then you just put it in a box and then it just fucking gets bigger by X mm-hmm. for no reason, you're going to want to fucking ask some questions. That's all. Yeah, people are, I don't know what it is, but people seem to be at a point, and maybe it's always been like this, but they're just not... They don't question it. They, the people think that money grows on trees to some extent. And that's kind of how I think about all these yield products and everything. Like, okay, you, nobody just makes money. Like, you can't just get free money. Right. You have to, to do some work or take on some risk for that money. So if you're not doing work, then it's all risk. So if you're getting 10% in some yield product... And everywhere else is giving you less than 1%. Your savings account is giving you like five basis points on that. Right. Where is that coming from? It's coming from risk. It's coming from the fact that it's lent out to degenerate traders or to SBF. Like, Yeah. It's risk. It's getting put into a slot machine and they're just yanking that arm. Exactly. So you're going to get screwed by that at some point. Yeah, it's you know, just, either you're going to get screwed by the counterparty or you're going to get screwed by the the like well I guess it is the counterparty but you know you get screwed by the platform like FTX or mm-hmm. even in DeFi if you're lending out to other traders and the whole market turns and everyone thought it was going up you might be left holding a bag. So you have to keep that in mind when you're lending out money. You're not getting a risk-free return that doesn't exist. So, do you think this is finally the moment where the whole Bitcoin is different thing sinks in? Or is that still, like, just too good to be true? Is that just still, like, a luxury that we're never going to have? I think it's definitely, like, a big moment. Um, But that said, like, and people ask, oh, when is hyper-Bitcoinization going to happen and stuff? I don't think any of this is ever, like... Yesterday it wasn't, and today it is. Yeah. It's all on the margins. So totally. I think this is a big event for it, for sure. Like, probably the biggest one we've had yet for showing people that self-custody is different, that Bitcoin is different. Like, holding the asset is a much different thing than giving it to an exchange. Because this was, like, one of the most pedigreed, if not the most pedigreed and, like, traditional finance-aligned exchange that just completely and utterly stole from customers. So that will be a big wake-up call. I think that kind of separates out. I think of it less of Bitcoin and more of just self-custody. Because I don't know how much it says about like other protocols. I think people are still going to think, oh, 
proof of stake is interesting, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But it definitely says something about holding your own keys as being extremely important. And Bitcoin is one of the only protocols that like the Bitcoin community really encourages you to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of other like Ethereum people that are into Ethereum, my understanding or my perception of it is they're more interested in DeFi and putting quote unquote, putting their assets to work, like right. building giving their assets to someone else or some protocol to, to earn them yield or something. So the idea of just holding it is much less attractive. <laughs> it just reminds but for Bitcoiners, me of, uh, that's it, you know. It reminds me of any one of the Coinbase earn lessons where you're like, mm. ooh, shitcoin has purpose. And then they like have this little graphic where like the coin pops up and then it like goes up and to the right and up and to the right and like it just <laughs> travels along this line. And then you're like, oh, with this coin, coiners can coin with coining coins. And it's just like some fucking nonsense that you, but three minutes, oh, here's $3 of our fucking product. Mm -hmm. And I always used to just turn those into Bitcoin and pull them off of there. <laughs> just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, oh, That's now. all to the one true coin. If you can hold these coins, then you can vote. And then everyone voting yeah. gives us this new use case for a coin that should exist. And you're like, Thanks. fucking, <laughs> I just spent six minutes and I didn't learn anything. But I saw your like coins logo a bunch of times and heard its name. That was about it. Yeah, it's free marketing. It's fucking insane. A, a crypto lawyer, a friend of mine, said that like Coinbase Earn was pretty much a regulatory move because if they educate customers about the product, then they kind of cover their own asses ah. as far as selling a unregistered security or something. Not that it's like. It doesn't like check any real legal boxes, right. but it's something that like they can bring to court when they get fucked. They can say, "Well, we exactly. we did this. Like, we told everybody what it was." Yeah, that's not something that I really picked up on, and I'm slowly starting to realize it's like regulation is all conversations and like push and push and pull. Yeah, it's, it's not like regulators study and then come up with the rules and lay out clear rules. It's a lot of it is like case law and negotiation and like actual in practice litigation totally. that determines how people think about these things in the future. So having something like earn is a great way to say, oh, well, we tried, they can send that to the regulator and say, look, we, we tried to educate people about these. Yep. So we should be classified differently or we should get different treatment if you do decide that these are securities. I read some other coin coin that just lost like an SEC battle for something sort of similar where it was just like customers weren't told something, you know, it was like the education thing that you're mm. bringing up. Uh, I think it was like lib library oh, or some shit. Yeah. Which I'd never heard. A lot. I'd never heard of until like this SEC case they lost. So yeah, that's some good, uh, that's some good advertising. Mm -hmm. Introducing this yeah. <laughs> this shit coin that might put all the shit coins in the path of the wrath of the SEC. Woo! Let me have a few thousand of those. <laughs> Fucking ready for it. What yeah, do you I, uh, I, What do you think is like the coolest thing though during all this bear market crap? Like, what do you think like is the coolest thing coming out of the Bitcoin world, or like what's like the exciting things about the future? I mean, today has me excited about this value for value thing. I mean, right. I've heard of it, but never really been involved in it happening in real time. That's pretty sweet. Um, 
I am super excited about meetups, obviously. Totally. Since I went on this trip. But it makes sense. Even yeah. since I've, I've ended the trip, I've seen meetups are growing faster and faster. There's newer ones all the time. They're doing more creative events. And there's just so much organic creativity that is not driven by like a profit motive. It's not companies trying to sell you something. These are just organizations of people trying to grow a, a grassroots movement, which is so cool to see moving really, really quickly. And especially within meetups, I'm excited to see this kind of circular economy kick off because I think that's where it's really going to begin in earnest, especially around food. I noticed that mm. a lot of meetups, there were people who came who were growing things or they had cattle or sheep or whatever, or maple syrup or something. And they're talking, to, like they're not even selling, but they're talking about what they're doing and other Bitcoiners are like, I want some of that. Like yep. You have really good food. I want to buy some of that. So they're starting to be this, like, and they're buying it in sats, you know? So fucking They're starting cool. to be this commerce that's building up around meetups and these networks, these informal networks to sell goods and services. And I'm super excited to see that take off because people, Bitcoiners always talk about circular economy and support Bitcoin businesses and stuff, but it always seems to come and go in like fits and spurts. Yep. But meetups have this kind of social staying power where even if Bitcoin goes to zero, people will still want to meet up because at this point, they're friends. You know, a lot of these groups are like, have a lot of deep social ties now. Yep. And they're starting to create commercial ties. And that will be the foundation, I think, of a, an economy based on Bitcoin. Yeah, I love that. And it that. will just grow in parallel. I love the, yeah. every time we do a blog party, man, I'm always just like so jazzed at the end. Because it's like, we got rid of some stuff and we got fucking sats now, you know? And the the price being lower the second time we did it was fucking awesome. We were like, mm -hmm. we never thought about it before because it's always buy the dip, stack the dip, but like vend the dip. If you're a vendor, you want to sell your shit at this lower Bitcoin price? Yeah. Vend the dip, mm -hmm. man. Like, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm super juiced about that. And it's, I don't know. Every time I looking around trying to build these things I want, like an another thing that we want, right? And we've wanted this for so long that it's like hurting me, um, making me feel like a fucking dumb, dumb dummy is uh, a music app, right? We want a music first experience where people can publish value for value their music in the exact same mm. way with the exact same protocols that we're doing this right now. And just have an app where it just surfaces all that music and then you can boost the music. You can stream sets the music. You can send messages to the artists, that kind of thing. Um, my buddy Abel Kirby and I put an album out last Christmas Eve as like a, uh, you know, proof of concept. And so like there's, there's music out there and other people have done it. There's music out there. And I don't know. I just, I have to change my mentality about it of, just realizing, hey, it's still fucking early. You know, if I'm here mm -hmm. and I'm like spinning my wheels for like coming up on a year trying to be like, dude, we need a music player. And, uh, you know, Adam Curry is being like, dude, we need a music player for a year. Like there's more than, it's not just me in my own little corner saying the shit and like knowing that we need to work towards this shit. But 
sometimes it just feels that way. You get the blinders on and then you're fucking sitting there looking at your own screen. Things are just not fucking working and not fucking working and not fucking working. And it's it's easy to just be like, well, I guess I'm the only one who cares and I'm going to fucking walk away. You know, like, mm-hmm. and When really it's just like, so early we don't have tools we don't have other uh things to build upon like we're just like starting from scratch on a lot of the shit yeah it takes a lot of patience and low time preference low time preference man that's fight through all of that and that's a harder going, one for me yeah. um yeah i get it totally with like the monetary thing and i can totally you know what i mean like i don't know there's 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 the guys at the bitcoin meetup who will always like commiserate about another dip because hyper bitcoinization like you mentioned is like further away right or like because they don't get to be right at the thanksgiving table or amongst their family like they don't be like get to be like the guy who figured it out right they still are the guy who everyone's looking at like are you fucking nuts though like are you gonna like ruin your future over this when it's like kind of the opposite what we're trying to do is the opposite (laughs) of ruining our future Mm -hmm. but it's hard to explain that in the short term in the current snapshot, when everything's like, uh, when all, when all of the ruffians are being burned to the ground, really, you know, it's like a it's a, like a nice, healthy purge that's going on. But to an outsider, you have no fucking clue about that. To an outsider, it's just like, oh shit, so like that's over, right? And you're mm-hmm. like, you got to be like, no, it's it's not over. It's what's happening is exactly what I fucking been telling you was going to happen. Is what's happening right now, like exactly mm-hmm. what I've been telling you. How do you think it's over now? It's tough. It's yeah. tough to have these conversations, man. Yeah, it is. People are like, we've just been in a fiat mindset. We think that's how the world works mm-hmm. for so long that people can't even imagine a, a different way being of being a really there. Rich the, slave, the pinnacle basically. of society. <laughs> that's the the highest you can go. So out here, I, I go out into the hills of northern Thailand sometimes, and there are hill tribes that live out there, and they're kind of build to tie people into the international community as like they used to be like the hillbillies now it's like our living ancestors that still live in traditional ways well there's another way of looking at them which is they are refugees of the state and the hills have always existed as this like refuge from the the uh, irrigated rice valley states that became kingdoms or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now we're like the Thai kingdom, which is an amalgamation of other kingdoms that they conquered. So people run away into the hills to escape the state when the state becomes oppressive. So these people still, a lot of these people still live out there and they're at their ancestors at different times lived within the city and were part of the city. Some of them, their entire you know lineage has been in these city states and they've left relatively recently for the hills But anyway, their attitudes and mindsets are so freedom oriented. Like they, when you look at them, you take a picture of them, you think, oh, these people are so poor. They live in these bamboo huts. They don't have anything. But when you speak with them and you like observe their daily life, they have a sense of happiness and freedom that. I've never seen on an American face in my entire life because they know where their food comes from. They know where their family is. They have a tight knit community. They have everything that they need. And I've heard hilarious anecdotes of like people will go donate clothing 
or rice or something to the hill tribes thinking all these poor people they need you know warm clothes and whatnot and they like throw the clothing back down the hill or use it for insulation or something because their clothing that they make is better sure and they feed the rice to their pigs and their chickens because the rice that they grow is better than the shit rice that they get from you so sure like and of course that doesn't go for all hill tribes but i've noticed that like a lot of these tribes are they're way better off than we are in terms of their mindset, their happiness, their contentment with life. But we think that they're so poor and they need our help. And it's so, it's so backwards, but they have this sense of freedom that we just like have completely lost. We don't know what that's like anymore. No one in that's alive has any memory of, of living like that. So we think the pinnacle of society is being Drake and, having an Instagram with 2 million followers and a great contract when in reality, like you're, you're a slave to a record company. You don't really have that much freedom of movement or in your life. Like you're kind of locked into who everyone thinks you are. And you know, you, you can't stream your music and get sats back for it and do whatever you want. You're kind of beholden to your fans, to your record, to record label, to your, sponsorship deals or whatever and it seems like the the people at the top of society even in western society or like in america and europe or whatever they're locked into this world and they're trapped in it just as much as everyone else yep yeah it's true i mean the only the only way to rise in that is to like earn the good boy points for doing what you're told or saying what you're supposed to say like no matter what you believe Mm -hmm. like you're just supposed to say like the expected line I think that to take it back to the SBF shit, like he, there's a lot surfacing of him say admitting as much, you know, of just being like, well, yeah. you know, I say the fucking thing you're supposed to say. That's why people love me. Duh. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's quite damning. It harkens and back to fell for it. Yeah, it harkens back to the early like Zuckerberg quote of when he was first, you know, doing Facebook and. People were like, "Why are? How are you getting all this information?" And then he was like, "Oh, people trust me for some reason. Stupid fucks, you know. <laughs> like <laughs> that's just they came in and uh, they're just trusting." Yeah. Guy with the shiny things, yeah. man. He must be doing it right because, like, they made mm-hmm. this well-produced video of him, and they're explaining what he does to me. So. <laughs> oh fuck, man. Well, shit, time has just uh, flown by here. We're coming up on the... Been yeah. doing this for an hour 45, man. It's right around the... good conversation. We did have one last boost come in. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> looks like Booberry hit us with the 69-69. Thank you, sir. 69-69, dude! And he's got a YouTube link of how these... A really good rundown on how these trials go down. You must tie her down on a bed and spank her. <laughs> You must spank her well, and after you have spanked her, you may deal with her as you like, and then spank me. And spank me? And me? And me? Yes, yes, you must give us all a good spank. <laughs> there you go. There's the uh, upcoming SPF trial. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh... Sorry, the autoplay killed me. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Sid, for sitting down with us, man. I appreciate uh, 
your insight and it's fun to catch up and yeah thank you spencer lorian so much this was fun absolutely and um for all those bowlers thanks for hanging out and um remember to boost sid gets a third of that so you know happy to show him the the value for value in real time and the forever royalties too like you might check this down the road and people will still perhaps be boosting and finding this for the first time so we've uh we've had really good uh we've had some really good times with it so far for sure Mm. nice yeah it's value for value thing is sweet man thank you for putting in the work to figure it out oh totally man totally and we're just getting started too we want to expand this and uh we got maniacs like Booberry expanding it all the time. So <laughs> I I am yeah. excited to see next Christmas what this looks like and uh Yeah, me too. What it becomes. Uh Bowlers Booberry, I'm excited to see your your denim jacket. Oh, you gotta check out <laughs> Booberry's jacket, man. He'll uh he'll bug you with it, I'm sure. Uh we'll have links to everybody uh in the show notes, but are, is there any particular place you wanna send people to find you and your work? Um, just Twitter's good. Yeah. Awesome. You don't have my handle, I'll give it to you, but it's Captain Sid, S-I-D-D-H, with an H at the end, so. Nice. Yeah, you can find me there. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. And, uh, bowlers, you know we'll be back at it on Tuesday night, and every Tuesday night, right around 9 central U.S. Uh, till then, I'll be Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. I'll be Dame DeLorean. Until next time, bowlers, may your bowls burn ever brighter. Walk on. Smoke on. You'd love it. You'd love it. It's just the way they talk the chicks into it. Tell you, man, that's the best thing for my body. Yeah, I like money though. The bowl after bowl guys are pushing the value for value so hard. Oh my god, yes! So hard. You like that, Boost? Wait till you see what happens next. Well, this one's going in my Boost box. Shout out! Shout out! Bowl after bowl.com. Bowl after bowl.com. <laughs> <laughs>